0: Zoom,
1: Where we go back and forth about films.
0: I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. On today's episode, we are looking at the Toronto Japanese Film Festival. The TJFF is now celebrating its 10th iteration, showcasing the best contemporary Japanese films, usually getting their Canadian or North American premieres. Rachel and I watched a bunch of the films that were selected for the festival, but we know we couldn't go it alone. So we've invited back to the show our resident Japanese film and culture expert, Naomi Wada Platt, who was last heard on episodes 141 and 143, Celebrating Japanese Cinema, a two-part series where we looked at both live action and animated films. She is here to share her insight, contextualize the films we watched, and correct any accidentally mispronounced names. Welcome back, Naomi. How are you doing?
2: Good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me
0: again of course it's it's absolutely our pleasure and i was really excited to be able to uh to do this with you
2: and i'm excited to talk about japanese film with you and rachel
0: i know you you love talking about japanese movies yeah and sh-
2: basically should talk about contemporary <laughs> <laughs> ones i like the classics
0: of course. So I, I guess I'll pose the question to to the two of you. Was this the first time you attended the TJFF and sort of what were your thoughts on either the programming selection and the overall quality of the festival? Rachel, we'll start with you.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, my first time doing the Toronto Japanese Film Festival. I'll be honest, I didn't even know it existed until this year. Um, I really liked the um, the. I guess the logistics behind how the festival actually ran, like I thought their website was really, really easy to use. Um, and in terms of the programming, I found quite a few films that I was really interested in. A lot of titles that I thought um, were quite unique, especially um, ones that dealt with, we'll get into it later, obviously, but ones that dealt with like, like Yakuza-centered um, movies because um, we don't seem to, we don't get those too much um, in terms of Hollywood, which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, it was my first time and I really enjoyed it. Naomi, I assume that you knew that this existed before I did.
2: (laughs) Yes, this is actually my second TJFF. Um, The first time I've been to was back in 2016. I went to see a movie about Sugihara Tune, um, Senpo Sugihara, um, this Japanese, uh, he's the, he was the ambassador who helped a bunch of Jews. And um, I went to see it because I'm Jewish, I'm Japanese. So Sugi so is someone that I really respect. And they made a movie about it. So I actually dragged my mom, um, who was visiting me, Um, from Japan and she fell asleep while watching the movie (laughs) yeah but there was actually a um, lot of uh, Jewish community members in the theater at um, Toronto Japanese center cultural center um, near Eglinton so that was a really good memory and I actually got to talk to the director after the um, screening so I always had you know soft spot for this film festival and to go back again um, it was a really pleasant experience and I agree with you, Rachel. Their website is really neat. Like it's kind of better than TIFF, So <laughs> a thousand times better than TIFF. Shade. True. So yeah, that was a good surprise.
1: Dakota, how'd you like it?
0: Yeah, it was it was my first time as well. Uh I'm not too sure if I'd heard of it before or not, but uh I I found it last year when I was sort of looking around to find different film festivals to try to get coverage for for this podcast. And it stuck out for me that it was a festival that was basically importing New Japanese films that, you know, it sort of seems that like in the in the international cinema realm, you know, outside of the North America, you're kind of limited to maybe about half a dozen to a dozen films that get noticed throughout like the the major um, ways of watching movies. And so that's obviously a huge shame on a lot of us of not being able to like really see what contemporary cinema is happening in in different countries and cultures and things like that. And, And so this one really sort of stuck out to me is this is like the, the only real opportunity for the average person to see mainstream Japanese films, like, as like I'm sure uh, Naomi, you probably know ways of either obtaining access to different different Japanese films or what have you whether it's you know some small theater is having a screening or ways to import and stuff like that, but for the most part just completely off of our radar and for me, it's the same yeah. case and so it was exciting to be able to to watch movies from uh a country that has such a rich cinema history to it and be able to kind of explore and see some different stuff. Like other than someone like Koreeda, um, I don't really know a ton about contemporary Japanese films. Like obviously everyone knows about Kurosawa and Ozu and stuff like that. And, and even, you know, the Studio Ghibli stuff, which they're still producing films, but outside of Koreeda or even Takeshi Miike, I can't think of any other uh, contemporary Japanese director. So it really is like me trying to fill a blind spot.
1: And I think it's quite good too, in terms of like, there's obviously a ton of movies that will come out in Japan and having a festival like this, it's nice because they kind of curate it down to a handful of films that, so you can focus it a little bit more. Whereas if you just thought, I want to watch like a contemporary Japanese movie, there's just so many out there that it's Mm going to be a bit overwhelming. So that's why I think film festivals are great in that sense of being able to like hone in on things that at least TJFF thought was worthy of, of including into their programming. So, you know, that kind of helps a bit with the work. And then maybe you find a couple actors that you're really interested in or directors, and then you kind of go out and branch out that way. So it's a great starting point for, I think, for anybody who um, who just wants to get into Japanese film or, you know, any other film festival as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think overall, I was very impressed with like the actual quality of, of all the films. Like I, I didn't like all of them, but that's sort of besides the point where... Sometimes you can, you can attend a film festival and a lot of the films will seem very, to put it, Nicely, I guess, student film like where <laughs> the production value isn't very high and all that sort of stuff. And even the movies I didn't care for, you can't deny that they are very polished films in, in terms of mm-hmm. the quality of you know post production in sound editing and, and color grading and all that sort of stuff. Where you know you sort of come to expect with with mainstream cinema, and so I really appreciate that. And I'll echo both of your both of your sentiments. Of the the website was was absolutely terrific. I loved how. One, either everything was like in in one row, you can find it there, or then they kind of broke it down by genre, you know, whether it was by drama, by comedy, family friendly, by, by women directors, documentary, that sort of stuff. So that way, if you wanted to kind of go in a different direction, you know exactly what avenue to take because yeah that's the other thing if i was to be like hey recommend me a contemporary japanese film japanese is a language it's not it's not a genre so you know what if i Mm -hmm. you know don't want you know a bloody yakuza movie what if i want something that i can laugh at or you know something that's just like a light drama or what have you a romance so it's nice that they kind of broke it down by genre too and it was such a clean portal where i really have to commend them for that too
1: it's also a really good call for all the other film festivals to, like, step up their game. <laughs> Specifically TIFF. I'm calling yes, TIFF yes, out yes, right yes, now.
2: Yes. They
1: need to, like, for one of the largest film festivals in the world, they really Ugh. need to get their website together and their ticketing process together. Um, like, the catalog together. Like, they just need to, they have the money for it. So I'm I not was going to sure say. What, you know, they have the wait, resources.
2: Right? Like, our money that we spend on the, you know, membership and the tickets, like, where are they going, TIFF? Hello? Honestly. Yeah.
1: Like where, where does it go? Actually let's not get into like nailing Tiff on this, but I'm just saying that a lot of other film festivals like, um, Cinefest in Sudbury, like they had a great website and I know that they're not dealing with as many films or as many, um, as much traffic as Tiff will. And I'm sure, um, this film festival kind of falls under that same umbrella, but they still are able to create a great website for that is very user-friendly um, with the resources that they have that can manage the traffic that they're expecting and I don't see why Tiff can't do the same thing
0: alright well I think we should talk about some of the movies there's three films in particular that at least two of us saw but we're going to start with the one that all three of us saw and I don't know if this is the best one to start with but it's the one we're going to start with it's called School Meals Time Final Battle uh, and Naomi please make sure you correct me if I, if I do any uh, incorrect pronunciations on names it was directed by Shinye Ayabi
2: 私は
0: so I'll give uh, a very a very brief uh, plot synopsis of this movie. It's basically uh, a, a young man is a teacher at, at a middle school where his favorite part of the day is the school lunches that they provide. And he talks about how he probably became a teacher for the free school lunches. Uh, and there's these gorgeous, beautiful Japanese lunches that just make your mouth water the whole time. And he is obsessed with eating them in the most perfect manner But then somehow another student also loves lunches as much as he does, uh, but he takes creative approaches to eating them. And then later on throughout the movie, they find out through budget cuts, they plan on uh, eliminating the school meal plan. And so the teacher and the student, which have philosophical differences on how to eat their lunches, decide to basically try to work together to figure out how they can, if possible, reverse these budget cuts to keep the school lunches in the system. This is, I guess for all intents and purposes, a young person's, young adult's, children's, teen sort of film. It's a very light comedy drama with some very uh, ridiculous antics that are involved. Uh, So I'm trying to keep that in mind when the fact that I didn't really care for it, that maybe I'm not the target audience. Uh, But I don't know, Rachel, I know you wrote about this one I think you might be the most positive about the three of us. And and maybe that's stretching it a little bit. So what were your thoughts on this film?
1: All right. Before you guys get into ripping apart this movie, <laughs> I really liked it. I thought it, it's like, it's super silly. And like you said, like, I, it probably is meant for a younger audience. Um, or just people like me who are not so young anymore, but we just kind of have like, it's a weird sense of humor. It's it's really silly. Like, that's probably the best word that I can use to describe it. But there is something within the silliness that I just – I re- it just really connected with me. I really liked um, the idea of using the school lunches as kind of your grounding, your focal point. Um, because, especially from our perspective here in Canada, to co- I don't know about you guys, but, like, I didn't have school lunches growing up. Like, we didn't – that wasn't a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Like, in – schools like we we brought our own lunches we 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 didn't have any um anything funded by our school board so i don't know if that's the like how it is in um across the rest of canada but um when i was growing up in ontario so i'd be like 90s early 2000s um we didn't have something like that so for me it was just the novelty of that as well and i liked the kind of just the ridiculousness of it and i think that that it just spoke to me in a way that a lot of ridiculous movies speak to me. And I do think that there is actually a lot of heart in it where the little boy who he really believes in school lunches. Like he's really into creating them and uh, making them into a way that is very different and the like the most optimal way to eat your school lunch. And that sounds really silly, but it's I I just I like that creativity from this child and then this uh, Part of the story, too, is he's running for student council, and with the whole backstory of the government shutting down um the funding for the school lunches, it just kind of spoke to me in a way of this kid is is in middle school like going into what we would consider high school here in Canada, and it's like it's his innocence in a sense is being taken away because it's like real world real adult things are influencing his seemingly juvenile um, passion for school lunches or just something that he associated with as being in school. And then I also, you know, like they they had a a little theme at the end of, it's about community and it's about, you know, who you eat your lunches with and the conversations that you have during that time and the bonding moments of that. And I like eating food with people. So it just, I don't know, it really spoke to me in that way. I'm probably reading way too much into it. And (laughs) I'm taking it far more seriously than it needs to be, but I just really liked it. And I liked, I liked the silliness of it. Some of the humor and some of the editing, it reminded me of some kind of old Hong Kong comedies that I watched when I was growing up, like Stephen Chow comedies in particular. Um, So that, that also kind of threw me for a bit of a nostalgia bit.
0: Okay. Uh, Naomi, what are your thoughts on, on all of that?
1: So, first
2: of all, I grew up with the um, Japanese school system. So, watching those food, like, uh, I just want to go back to elementary school and enjoy that. food. it's so good. I miss it. And I actually want to bring this point out. Um, so, school lunch, um, I think, is available for elementary school, public elementary school, throughout Japan. Um, my junior high school didn't have it, not in high school either and i remember, talking about innocence that rachel brought up um going into junior high i was uh 12 or 13 um so school lunch was wasn't free and people are supposed to pay but some parents couldn't afford it so there was a whole discussion across the nation of well what if those parents can't pay like are we going to take lunch away from those kids and as a kid i'm like i didn't know there such families existed because you know my family was I could afford it so I was so shocked and that's when I realized like oh there are people who can't afford to eat so this movie kind of put me back in the situation a bit but yeah um, so some of the meals that I saw actually sukiyaki it's so different from my sukiyaki that I'm really i grew up with so seeing that you know um community differences and um, food and everything that was cute um but the editing and the the comedy and the lighting i just it i just uh, i i if i can continue talking i would just use bad words so I'm, just, I'm gonna stop but it was it was a bit cringy and i really didn't like the background music it was too much
1: I would agree with that. Actually, yeah, I the the it was a little bit it it's a bit overwhelming
2: and it's a little extra.
1: But the whole movie is extra. That's the thing. Like the whole movie is ridiculously extra.
2: It is extra, but like they could have taken it further. And Ichihara Hayato, the main actor, when I was a kid, I had a huge crush on him. He used to be this like typical bad boy. He used to only play um typical bad boy characters. So to see him in that strict teacher in what like tie in the vest and dress shirt. I was like, What are you doing? Like at first, I didn't recognize him. So, and like he could have gone further. He could have go like one hundred thousand times weirder or like more comedic. And I think if he did that, I would have appreciated it a bit more, but it was cute. Yes, but there are some elements that I was just like,, uh, yeah, this is Japanese comedy, I forgot. So there are some moments like that.
1: He's still very good looking, by the way.
2: Yeah, just just,
1: throw, just throwing it out there.
2: <laughs> he is cute. Period.
1: He's still a cute. very handsome man.
2: Right. And speaking of um the kid, goal. He he's a good actor and he's cute. And I'm like, you're gonna grow up and you'll be prettier. And I can't wait to see you in your next work, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> Yay.
0: <laughs> so I think I think for me I feel like I'm I'm kind of landing on the same pages as, as naomi as far as your thoughts on sort of the over-the-topness i think a lot of this movie is you need to kind of be on the wavelength that the film is trying to do or you're just not gonna really like any of it which is fine there, there were parts of it i liked but you know the the music was a little over the top the narration where he's uh-huh. kind of like doing that like quiet talk where he sounds like he's doing like an asmr video um and then so I think one of the things I had the biggest trouble with was the contrasting of the character. That he's such this... Rigid teacher. He's so strict, you know. He he forces one kid who speaks out a line to to go out of the hallway and hold buckets of water up in the air as a punishment. Corporal
2: punishment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then when like he's in the teacher's lounge, he's like getting mad at the teachers that you can't have uh an open-ended question, that sort of thing. And then you contrast that with when they're singing the school song that he's literally bouncing up in his up and down in the chair so hard swinging his arms around that he keeps hitting his hand on his desk every time he does it. Or like he jumps up on his desk on all fours and kicks his leg out. Like he's doing some sort of like yoga pose or something like that. And I'm like, this character does not mesh. These are, these are two completely char- different characters and they don't belong in the same world. And it was just like a little bit too much for me to kind of uh, get on board with.
1: So on that note, I want to pose a question to you guys. Do you think that him acting out like that, like the dancing in his chair and the you know the weird yoga esque poses, um, do you think that was actually happening, or is that just something that's going on in his head that he's doing it in his head, but in reality he's just actually sitting there very proper?
0: I thought about that, and and I kind of in my letterbox review I kind of talked about that a little bit where. At first, I was like, what's he doing? And then later on, I was like, oh, maybe it's sort of all in his head. And this is the way he sort of views himself. But if that was the case, I don't think the director did a good enough job of doing that because... I noticed the second time that he was singing the school song, there were quite a few students uh, staring at him and watching him on the other side of the room, not the ones like directly in front of him. um, Like, like the young boy, that sort of thing. But there were some students that were staring at him and that sort of made me sort of break that sort of fourth wall illusion of, is this all in his head sort of thing? So, I don't, I don't know if, if it was the director's intention to make it ambiguous. I don't think they really succeeded. And I'm, and I almost want to say, because of the fact that they, uh, a couple characters later in the movie, like when he, when he goes into the principal's office and and the principal reveals that the school meals are being cut, the principal says, well, we all know that you love school meals so much. And then uh, the the cafeteria workers also kind of imply that as well, that it's, it's a very obvious. So I, I I don't quite know where they were trying to go with that because I, I thought that exact same question too. And I don't know where I land on it.
2: Yeah, that's so fair because yeah, I'm with you, Dakota, and I asked the same question, but I actually didn't. I asked this particular question like in the middle of the movie because i grew up watching anime and there's some you know food anime that kind of does the same thing so there is this anime that like people shed their clothes because it tastes so good um <laughs> what yeah there's nudity in the food show yeah food anime it's uh, japan's wild and weird <laughs> wait so the
1: food the food is just so good that they they strip yeah
2: they strip, and sometimes they like have this trip to i don't know like heaven or whatever it's I will send you some gifs and um articles afterward, but yeah yeah there's there's some nudities in the food reaction anime and whatever, so I'm so used to that how bizarre it may sound, I have to admit that, so it's kind of like the typical um comedy when it comes to food um shows in Japan um people react over the top. And we just have to accept that. So I think the director is just like, no one's going to question if this is happening for real or not. So I think that's why the line wasn't drawn clearly. And I do think that it was happening in real life. And everyone's just like, well, he's doing the thing again. Okay. Fair enough, actually. That's a good
1: point. Yeah, that's a good point though. Because if he's doing this like literally every day, then the students wouldn't be phased by it at all. They'd just be like, yeah, they're, there goes the good-looking teacher doing the thing again. Like, <laughs> but you know. I don't want him as, a te- as my teacher. No, thank you. I would take him. I just don't need him to do the, the, the weird <laughs> dancing and stuff like that. He could be <laughs> my teacher. I have no problem with that. Oh, but do you want the corporal punishment and his
2: elitism and everything?
0: I was a good kid in
1: school.
2: <laughs> oh, okay, so you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I good. think the one thing this movie does do really well, this is a movie about school lunches and the food had to be key. And one thing I've I've absolutely noticed between, you know, watching movies in this festival and uh the time that we did the the series together, Naomi the watching the celebrating the Japanese films, food in Japanese cinema is so key and it always mm-hmm. looks so damn good. I can't think of the amount of times where I'm watching a Japanese food and be like, "Oh man, I'm hungry. I know what I'm ordering tonight. I'm getting Japanese food." And like, especially they make a huge big deal about the first meal that they really show where it's like fried whale with this Aurora sauce and hot damn if I wouldn't kill to order that while I was watching that because it looked so good.
2: I know. I still wanted to book a fly back to Japan and just like sneak into elementary school and eat their food, steal their food. But I shouldn't be doing that. But no, seriously, Japanese school lunch. So good. I remember reading articles um, back in Japan saying like, apparently um, school lunches in North America is really shitty. Like they only give you apple and sandwiches. And here we have this, you know, well-made food. And I was I felt bad for the students in North America.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I actually wanted to say, too, was um, about the the workers um, in the school lunches. I really liked that touch of kind of adding in, well, if, you know, they might need to go get another job and, like, how much pride they took in preparing the lunches and, like, coming up with different menus. I found that to be incredibly sweet. Um, and it I may or may not have teared up because of that. Oh, I don't know what happened to me that day, but I was feeling very <laughs> emotional for the ladies <laughs> who were making the lunches and now they were out of a job. And I was like, it that – You know, sometimes, again, this is me taking the movie far beyond what it probably was intended to. But when you think of, you know, these budget cuts and things like that, it affects a lot of things, not just a a student and a teacher who really like their school lunches, but like there's real people behind decisions like that. Um, And I really liked how they took time to address that because I thought um, it added a lot of emotion to a very, again, silly, silly movie.
2: No, it's true. Like I, we loved the ladies who made the school lunch. Um, they, we called them Kyushoku no oba So Kyushoku is the school lunch and Oba-chan's um, ma'am. So we always called them and we always said hi. And they were always so sweet. Uh, I actually, yeah, like this film made me miss them um, a bit. I didn't hear up. Sorry, Rachel. Um, I, but it was a cute moment for sure. And talking about, you know, Politics and things, um, incorporating into this cute, silly, comedic film, it was a it was a good idea, and I think that element worked well.
0: Well, there we go. I I think uh, we should move on now to a different one. Uh, we're gonna talk about a movie called A Family, which only Rachel and I saw, which was directed by uh, Michihito Fuji. <laughs> And so this is the story of a Yakuza family that takes place over three chapters uh, from 1999 to 2019, each in in a 10-year span. And it's about uh, a young man named Kenji who uh, falls in with uh, the local Yakuza gang and ends up working his way up and then in the middle section, he ends up uh, taking the fall for one of his brothers in the gang, and going to jail for a decade. And then it's the last chapter of him uh, acclimatizing to life post prison, and what uh, what has changed for him in in terms of what the gang has changed into, and how laws in Japan have changed, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but it, it is is sort of presented as sort of like a, a family drama done in the style of the Irishman, I guess, would be the best way to kind of compare it. Uh, this is one I actually I, I did really like. I thought the middle section kinda really dragged at times, but specifically both the the first chapter and the third chapter were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, what about you, Rachel? What were your thoughts on this film?
1: Pretty much spot on with you. Um I really enjoyed the movie. I I love gangster genre, like gangster genre across the world. I, I I see the appeal. I see the appeal. And I found this one to be really like, there's not that much violence. There is violence, but not as much as we would assume there to be maybe in it, like a typical gangster movie that we're used to um, from Hollywood. Uh, this one really, really does focus on the family aspect of it. But it also draws on, you know, there's 14, he, he got sent to prison for 14 years. And so the last chapter of the movie picks up in, you know, post him being in jail. So 14 years has gone by and Japan's a very different world. And, um, how the Yakus are, are viewed in Japan has, is very different all of a sudden, you know, it's no longer, they fear you. And, um, you know, it's, it's very, you're discriminated against. And they, they touch on that really nicely. I thought of, it's going to be tough for him to even get a cell phone plan, you know, um, after coming out of prison because he is marked as being a member of the uh, Yakuza. So I, I liked those kind of beats to the movie because it's looking at kind of gangster and society in a way that I don't know if we've really seen before. I think like Irishman is a great um, example of, of, maybe a Western film that's comes kind of close where, you know, the end scenes in, in Irishman, it's, um, you know, Robert De Niro's character thinking like, is all alone. And it's like, was it really worth it? And you get that same vibe with, with this movie um and actually to kind of connect it to the school lunches one and something naomi said was that the, the ichihara hayato who played the very good looking school teacher um <laughs> he's in this one as well and he is, oh, is in he? it as yeah he's he's uh, kenji's friend um and looks completely different like he is i think he sh- has a shaved head um and he is like like a gangster basically and so it was interesting when you said that Naomi like that's what he was kind of known for um before doing the school lunches movie but that he kind of returns to that I suppose um in in this movie so I thought that was kind of cool seeing because I watched these ones not back to back but I think one day after the other and um seeing him as just an actor doing you know a lead super silly and then you know the gangster supporter role in in a in a more typical movie but i i had no idea that that's what he was more known for in japan yeah he's got depth yeah he's good too he's a, he's a really good actor i actually thought um the actor who plays kenji as well whose name is again apologies if i mispronounced this but um ayano go um he's he was really great in this as well and actually i want to shout out there was one really cool kind of like wonder like a good continuous shot when they were putting a hit on uh on the yakuza boss and he was in the car and the way that the camera just follows um kenji around i mm-hmm. was really I, I i think i stopped the movie and went back and rewatched it a few times just because i love when they when there's like really cool camera work like that um but yeah i i i was a big fan um of this movie i didn't think that uh or sorry i did think i agree with you dakota that it um it did drag a little in the middle um, but the beginning and then the payoff that you get at the end, to me, it was it's a really, really great movie.
0: Yeah, I think what m- worked best is Kenji's character arc is so clear and present. You understand exactly what's going on. In all three chapters, mm-hmm. it's a very different and unique performance. And and so I kind of like this sort of like uh, at the beginning where he was lost and aimless, but he had that sort of like, cockiness that a young person who who sort of thinks they're invincible has and then in the middle chapter when he actually kind of has that invincibility he really settles into a quiet confidence and then the last chapter it's just it's just such confusion and he doesn't know what his place in the world is and anything else that's going on and so I think he's able to he was able to perform in all three chapters very distinct ways that I really appreciate it. Where are very often when you get these types of movies uh, that, that cover a large swath of time, you just basically get the actor doing the same note the whole time and they don't really change. And I think he does a really good job in, in this performance to sort of highlight the differences in the way that he was feeling. So I really sort of commend that aspect of the film.
1: And I, I read an article. Um, oh, I wish I knew if it was, I, I'm not even going to guess which outlet it came from. But there was a review that was talking about this movie about how some of the more classic Yakuza films from, say, the 60s and the 70s. And there's some, you know, some really classic ones. um, They were, you know, they kind of glamorized the Yakuza a little bit. But it was always a way of putting down the Yakuza. Like, it was never something that you would strive to be. a Like, I kind of think in the West, sometimes we think being a gangster is kind of cool. You know, like it's, I, I grew up that way anyways. I thought it would be kind of cool to be in like a gang or something like that. <laughs> that girl. Um, that probably just says more about me than anything else. Um, but they were talking about how in this movie, it's almost like the director missed the memo there. That like you're not supposed to paint Yakuza into a sympathetic role. Which, I mean, you do kind of feel bad for him at the end of the movie. Even though he's he's done terrible things and he's been a part of terrible things um but you do kind of feel bad for him and you do feel a lot of compassion and empathy for the discrimination he faces and so i thought that was interesting like just in terms of context of yakuza movies from say the 60s 70s to present day i thought it's an interesting change and i mean i don't know naomi if you i don't know if you can speak to you know the perception of yakuza movies or like yakuza in general in 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 japan but um i found that to be a really interesting point that that uh, that individual wrote
2: that's interesting because yakuza right now i
1: don't know too much but um
2: my hometown kobe is known for this one of the biggest yakuza family um, yamaguchi and um kobe had a big earthquake in 1995 and actually yakuza helped the people out like they made food and they give out food to people who you know lost their home or whatever so i grew up hearing like oh yeah like the lower ends like real typical gangster yakuza's are like assholes and whatever but upper um class or people who are in upper hierarchy i can't say that word um do know how to take care of the town and whatever but i know how the law has changed and i actually have a friend who's married to a policeman in osaka and osaka is filled with yakuza and he had to go into one of the yakuza's home and he's a sweetheart he's a very calm kind guy but he had to intimidate them so hard that you can't tell the differences between actual yakuzas and the police officers. And apparently like he was horrified and everything. So but there's definitely still glamour glamorization of Yakuza. There's a huge um game franchise called Yakuza, Gotoku in Japanese, that's still really popular. I'm actually a huge fan, which is about this Yakuza who's not really a Yakuza, but like grew up Yakuza and wants to be Yakuza. It's a it's a whole new story. But it's a it's a it's a complicated story, and it depends on where you live. Because in Kobe and in Osaka, there's definitely um, kind perception, glamorization happening um, for yakuza. So it's a it's a it's a tough thing to clarify.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's something I think they they do a really interesting job of of showing in this film, at least how most of society. Either is completely indifferent to it or it's just about the worst thing in the world. Where uh, in the third chapter, you know, the woman he sort of starts to see from his youth ends up losing her job because of a few different things, but one of them being the fact that she's associating with an ex Yakuza member and it would bring shame upon the company for her to work there, sort of thing. and, And so she no longer works there. But then, you know, I've also heard stories about how, um, like as a Canadian, I've got I've got two tattoos on my wrist. I wouldn't be allowed in something like a, a bathhouse or something like that because of the affiliation yep. of gang tattoos. Yeah, and this there's like a scene of a guy with full yakuza tattoos being in a bathhouse sort of thing, which obviously means that that bathhouse is okay with it, probably because they're paying for protection or or whatever the the situation would be. But yeah, it's just such an interesting dichotomy between the what parts of society are okay with it and what parts of society are not.
2: Can I actually bring one thing. F- fun fact about um yakuza. Again in Kobe, Yamaguchi family has the main house, and it was actually close to my high school. And my friend heard that um, was it was it Halloween? Yeah, actually in Halloween they give out candies to kids, so. She was like, Naomi, do you wanna go? And I was like, No, I don't wanna get killed. But apparently, like kids in that neighborhood dress up and went to this house of the biggest Yakuza family in Japan and got candies from those Yakuza members. And it's a huge thing, apparently.
0: Are they so, like the the full chocolate bar family? I was gonna say Dakota. <laughs>
1: Like, this is going to be the house on the block that gives the best candy, like the high-end candy. They're not giving out apples and toothbrushes. No. These guys are doing, like, the good stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so interesting, though. I wonder if they do that because of, like, it's like a PR stunt in a way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're just trying to, to, to not face that discrimination and um, to be able to live within the society however they can, basically. You know, I that, that's really interesting, though.
0: Yeah. I almost sort of equate it with like hearing stories about like people like Pablo Escobar back when you know, in Colombia. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, giving money and, and supporting all the local programs and meal programs and all that sort of stuff, giving out gifts and, and free money. One, because you know, goodwill in your community is good. But then the flip side is like when the cops come up and they're like, Hey, did you see anything? And they're all like, mm-hmm. Nope, didn't see anything.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. And like what Naomi was saying about, um, the Yamaguchi-gumi, they, I, from what I had read in the news too, they reacted quicker in terms of the relief efforts for like the hurricane than um, the Japanese government did. Uh, so the Japanese yeah. government has, wasn't even doing anything yet. And yet the, Yaku- the local Yakuza was the one that was actually making a difference in the neighborhood.
2: Yeah, I actually have a... This guy um, from my neighborhood back in elementary school, he was so nice to me. I loved him. Um, I happened to move, so I lost um, contact with him. But he joined Yamaguchi Gumi, so I should probably reach out to him and be like, yo, are you alive? Like, h- how many fingers he's got left and what kind of things you do? And, you know, figure out Yamaguchi
1: What kind of candy do they give out at Halloween? Yo, very important question. I'm super curious what they're giving out. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Chocolate bars. I would like to know in Japan what are they giving out for Halloween because it's probably better than what we get. So, yeah, we'll I will try and find him and ask him that question. I got you. Halloween question first, and then how are the you? Rest, yeah. How are you? After that's a far that's yeah. second. That's a far yeah. second.
0: All right, so we're going to talk about the next movie, which is one called Hope. This isn't. This is one that I did not see. So, uh, Rachel, if you want to kind of give a brief plot description and then uh, you and Naomi can talk about it a little bit. I
1: Sure. Um, Hope was a movie. It, it's kind of put out there as a police procedural movie where there's a murder that happens, and then of a young individual, and um, and there's kind of a hunt for who who was the murderer. Um, but the difference with this movie, and the thing that I actually found the most compelling, was that the focus of the film is not on the police chase. It's not on the detective story whatsoever. Um, it's on the family of a young man who may or may not have been involved. So they don't know until the end um, whether or not was he the murderer? Is he another victim? You know, what, what had happened to him? And it's about a family. It's a, you know, a very kind of middle class uh, father who's an architect, mother works in publishing, The he has a younger sister who's in high school or about to go into high school. Um, so they're just like a normal kind of Japanese family that you wouldn't expect anything negative from, I suppose the best way to say it. And then when their son goes missing and potentially is wrapped into a murder that happened, um, the film focuses on the responses of each member of the family. So for me in particular, I found the interesting bit between the mother and the father where the mom was like, as long as he's alive, it's okay. Even if he's a murderer, it's fine. Like we're going to deal with this. Like it's, he's my son and my son is my son and I love him unconditionally. And the father is a bit more reserved. The father is a bit more, you know, let's see what happens. Like let's, let's, before we react, let's figure, let's find out what actually happened. Um, which kind of leads. And then the mother at some point accuses the father, even of saying "Like you kind of just wish he was dead, don't you? Um, so I, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was an interest. I, I love a police procedural, by the way, I'm a huge fan of detective stories, books, movies, TV shows, all that stuff. I love those things. Um, but I thought this was such an interesting take on it. It's based off of a uh, popular Japanese novel, Um and, and so clearly it's like, I think it worked really well as a movie. Um, Naomi, what'd you think about it?
2: Um, I didn't like it that much um, because of various reasons. But one, camera work was horrendous. I, I did hurt. not like the flashbacks. And um, do you remember the scene where mom was talking to a reporter who tried to get information um, like, you know, family information, secrets from the mom in exchange of information that he has. And there was this weird, like, twist and turns. And I was just like, what are you doing? This is not a TV show. It's a movie. It's It looked cheap. Um, and it shows family dynamics and how Japanese patriarchy is set in household. Um, so to see that Like, father just kind of taking control of everything a bit too much, being that patriarchy, the representation of patriarchy. It was just a bit too much for me, but it made me cry at one of the funeral scenes, and I was not expecting that. So I have to give them a plot for making me cry.
1: It's it's a very emotional movie that I think... Like, I think any... Even if your family didn't go through something like that, which I would think the majority of families haven't gone through something like that. Like, you know, whenever there's a family trauma or situation that you have to deal with, like seeing how a mom and a dad can break down because of something to do with their kids, I think that that's very emotionally affecting, which is probably Mm -hmm. why you cried. I got pretty emotional about that one too, although I think the lunch ladies in the school meals one that that made me more <laughs> upset um, oh my God. But we I love the la- lunch ladies <laughs> don't know why um uh, but no in this one i think in terms of the camera work actually i'm going to defend them on one thing i agree with you about kind of the the cheap like back and forth like i, I know exactly what you're talking about and also i want to say that whole subplot with the tabloid journalist i was not having that i was like this is useless and i know you know i think he's supposed i get what his purpose is because he's driving the plot forward in many ways but um yeah i'm not i wasn't really about that one but i did like in terms of the camera work i really liked how warm the movie was um and this is simply in contrast to what typical police procedures are which is really cold you know they use like a cold color palette um, because that's the color palettes usually of like a prison or a police station like it's usually blues and greens and whites um, but this movie they flood it with like tons of oranges and um reds and stuff like that and not to say that you should like a movie because of like cinematography (laughs) but i'm just saying it was something that like it stuck out to me as something that i i personally really took from this movie and i really liked it um i'm i'm with you though it's not it's not a perfect movie like it's got uh it's got quite a few different plot holes and um some (laughs) things that you know are a little uneven here or there but in general though i i personally really liked it um It might be also just because what I'm expecting kind of going into it, reading about when I read the synopsis of it, I thought it was going to be like just a detective story and it ends up being something completely different, um, which I, which I enjoyed. But I also thought because between the three movies that I watched, two of them were quite heavy (laughs) um, and I wasn't really expecting that. I thought this one would be a bit more of like a thriller. uh, So I thought it'd be good, but it ended up being a lot heavier than I expected it to be.
2: That's fair. While watching it, I this movie actually reminded me of um American Sun. Um because mostly the setting is in the house or mm-hmm. like they don't go out too far, right? It's yeah. like they revisit the scene. So you get familiar with the scenes and you see the family conflict and dynamics, but I like the American Sun a bit too much, so I just like uh This does not hold candles. Is that the saying? Um, (laughs) Yeah, up. So, but I have to say that acting was pretty good. Um, The main two, um, the mom and dad. So mom is Ishikawa Yuriko, powerhouse. And dad, Tsutsumi Shinichi, again, another powerhouse. They did a good job. And my personal favorite is Miyabi, the sister.
1: She was so good. She was so, so good in this. Yeah, unbelievably good. Yeah, the dilemma of, you know, like, I I don't know what to believe. Like, my
2: parents have different opinions and my brother's missing and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, she's that good girl who's trying to get into a good high school and she wants to have a future. And that seems like it's take, being taken away from her because of her her brother's action and how the society is reacting to it. Right. So I understand her frustration and the actress acted did an amazing job portraying it.
1: Yeah. And she really does well of the, um, kind of the very stereotypical, you know, you're the daughter, the younger daughter of a family with an older brother and in like a <laughs> lot of Asian families, I'm saying this as a younger sister with an older brother in an Asian oh. family. Like, you know, some of the times we feel a little ignored. We feel yeah. like growing up, you kind of feel like there is a preference to your brother because I think, like, it's so ingrained in, in this particularly East Asian culture, but I think yeah. in a lot of cultures around the world, like, the son is the one he carries on the family name. And I mean, and like, kind of even going further than that, like, long time ago, they were like the laborers, and you were just, you know, There to be sold to another family as like a wife Mm -hmm. like so the dynamic between siblings not to say that my family thought that about me by the way they they, they (laughs) try to sell me off or anything like that but it's just like it's one of these things that's traditionally it's it's so ingrained in east asian culture that you know the eldest son in the family carries a lot of weight um even if they're a screw up like like the son Mm -hmm. is in this one he you know he's not um he appears to be a screw-up i should say that he he is in a screw-up yeah. but he appears to be a screw-up and even as a screw-up they end up taking most of the focus and so i thought you're right the actress who 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 um played the younger sister she was so good like she kind of like hit the nail on the head like perfectly of someone who obviously cares about what's going on with her brother but she also has her own life and she's kind of like mm-hmm. i'm just sick and tired of my brother always stealing my shine from me but um yeah, yeah i i thought she, that's a good point to like bring her up because i thought she was amazing in it as well yeah and to see like so the family's in the spotlight because the
2: reporters and the police and the surrounding communities and the business partner and everyone's like did your son do this or not is your son involved or not and they get their house egged and you know they get surrounded by reporters all the time so like i know the mentality the mob mentality and the internet you know plays a small yeah. part in this saying like yo like this person's doing this like oh there's this new information like these people are dead like th- this family is horrible blah 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 so it was really grounding in that sense it was really real and I felt bad for the family and I think that part the emotional portrayal of um having sympathy for the family I think the film did a good job.
1: Completely agree with that. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think. Um, I mean, even a family. We didn't really talk about that, but just bring it back to that. They, they have a a moment of talking about social media. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was Facebook in particular that they're using that. And sometimes it can be a little distracting with movies trying to add in social media or internet elements in general. Not every movie is able to do it well, but, um, yeah, I think in uh in in hope they they translate it well because it would be almost unrealistic if you said it in contemporary times and don't include some form of social media, you know, and yeah. like, yeah, and it's tough to portray on screen without it being very distracting, but I actually thought they did a pretty good job on this one.
0: Awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of wish I had time to to see that one. I was trying to watch a bunch of them and that one seemed interesting, but there's ones that kind of sound a little bit more interesting and one that I regret it watching afterwards and not watching hope. But <laughs> That's besides the point. I do want to talk about one called *Under the Open Sky*, which
2: is
0: directed by Nishikawa Miwa. And this was my favorite movie that I saw in the festival. It actually played at TIFF last year, which is very interesting. Um, so kind of like uh, a family where uh, that movie sort of shows the entire life of, uh, of, of a young man going through the Yakuza system and then going to jail and coming out the other side. Uh, this movie starts with uh, a Yakuza member leaving jail. And so it's literally the entire story is him about trying to uh, acclimatize back in society and so he's a little bit older. The, the actor who plays him is, uh, uh, I I really hope I, I say this correctly, uh, Yakusho Koji, who is a very famous Japanese actor.
2: A plus on the pronunciation. A plus? Yep, you got it right.
0: Oh, awesome. Great. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we actually saw one of his movies, Rachel, when we talked about um, celebrating Asian cinema, which was Memoirs of a Geisha. He's in that. Mm-hmm. He's... Um, one of the older gentlemen that has like the heavy scarring on his face
1: yeah
0: he's a very famous
1: actor in in Japan though isn't yeah he? yeah he's, he's incredibly famous yeah.
0: yeah yeah uh but he's also been in in other movies like Babel, so he's definitely uh known he's to to North American audiences as well but uh yeah he's he's basically sort of you know I, I keep sort of relating it to the Irishman a movie that I, I really don't care for at all really. same
1: <laughs> <laughs> didn't like it that much, but it is very applicable to some of these. Yeah,
0: it, it's just such an easy reference point yeah. uh, as far as like dealing with the rise and fall of being in, in a mob or a gang yeah. or something like that. And, and so Under the Blue Sky is very similar where uh, it, it's about this elderly man coming out of prison and he really doesn't have any sort of marketable skills to get himself a job. And, and as kind of discussed in the family, it's very difficult for people that are our, our former Yakuza members to reintegrate into society. I think that's actually a very interesting sort of bigger conversation where, you know, most of us will look at Japan or, or, or different countries and be like, wow, you're, you're so different from places like America. But then, in some regards, like the way that ex prisoners are treated, it seems very identical to America. And this idea of once you sort of commit a crime, you're not, you don't get sent to jail to, Uh, rehabilitate to get better. It's just there as punishment. And when you're out, we're not there to help you either as a society. And so it just seems to push people directly right back into whatever crimes that they were committing before, because that's the only thing that they know, the only way they know how to make money and they go right back into jail. And it sort of seems that's the same way and, and sort of, under the Blue Sky really is, is him tackling how difficult it is to get his life back on track um, where, you know, the welfare agent who's helping him basically has to kind of do it secretly because they're not really supposed to be helping ex-Yakuza people because that's sort of uh, against the code, not against the law. That's just that's not what they really do. That's not what their purpose is there for. And so I think they do a really good job of this This man who clearly is trying his hardest to do it, but at the same time, you know, someone who's always had a lot of anger in his life because the main, the other main point of the story is he's trying to reconnect with his mother who gave him up at age four. And so he's had this huge resentment to authority figures and any parental figures his entire life. And, and I really like that he's got this sort of simmering anger bet- underneath him. And like when he's at the DMV and he's like trying to figure out how to get his license back and he like just unloads on this DMV worker and he immediately apologizes. But that anger is always there. He's always carrying that. It's it's unfortunately uh, not a badge of honor. It's, it's a badge of shame that he has to carry with him. And and the fact that he constantly has to navigate these hurdles uh, really, really, sort of highlights the sort of injustices that communities as a whole, everywhere around the world, really do not do a good enough job of making sure that people, when they're trying to reintegrate with society, are able to do it at a seamless way, you know? there's obviously needs to be some restrictions depending on what crimes you committed and things like that. Like you can't own firearms or you can't live right next to a school, depending on what crime you committed, things like that. But things like being able to get a job and being able to get benefits and support programs and education, all that sort of stuff clearly is not there. And I I think this movie does a really great job of highlighting those inequities. and, And I'm not too sure if, if Naomi, you're also able to kind of speak about any sort of society issues in that regards or not.
2: I definitely agree um prison system in japan um is well, not just prison system, like when you're incarcerated um you will be forever a criminal. there's no redemption, there's no saving um and it's it's really tough. Um, not even just for Yakuza, you know, anyone who got incarcerated. And unlike here, I don't think there are that many organizations who um, openly support or or, um, offer support to those who were incarcerated and want to go back to, you know, being a member of society. Um, I think it's just Japan's like, well, you commit crime, you're no longer one of us, you're no longer a citizen. And that kind of goes to that could be said to Yakuza's, right? Like you're not, no longer a group, this part of the society, you're no longer normal people, regular people. And that barrier cannot be easily broken there. So yeah, like now I think I, I need to watch this film like right after this, cause it's Yakusha Koji. He's amazing. And the topic se- sounds really interesting.
0: Yeah. It was, it was a really beautiful and delicate performance and in one that got me emotional a few times throughout it and and it's got a, a very beautiful ending and, and it just, it's just such a, a nice, beautiful poetic film, you know, like uh, looking at different categories of, of the festival and this one like sort of jumps out, you are like, Oh, it's a Yakuza movie. I'm like, Oh, cool. Interesting. And like expecting, you know, your typical Martin Scorsese gang mob style movie, but it really wasn't. It really was a drama about uh, one man trying to get his life back on track and, and figure out what his place in the world is. And, and that's some, something that I I really appreciated. And there's a part, some, some very funny moments as well, where he tries to like intimidate some people by like bringing back his old persona. And like, clearly this is a man that like has trouble walking. He's got really bad knees. (laughs) He usually would not scare anyone. But as soon as you know, you say like, Oh, I'm ex Yakuza. That kind of like makes everyone sort of shake in their boots a little bit.
1: I love that the two Yakuza movies that we saw, they're not, they weren't about, the violent, like you said, like they're not a shoot 'em up kind of Scorsese uh, kind of movie. Not to say I I love those movies too, but um, I like that they focus more on kind of the mortality of the people who are committing these things. And uh, you know, not to put compassion on people who do you know terrible things like that. But um, I I think it's it's such a unique way of looking at the gangster, you know from wherever in the world. Like, I think it's, it's a really cool um, way into the story. And, and in, in many ways, like if you, if you want to look at film as something to like mold the younger generation, well, they can see like, it's not all that it cracks up to be when you do watch a Martin Scorsese or like a John Woo movie. Um, it's not always going to be the cool, you know, shoot em up, assassin, Joe and fat kind of thing. Um, uh, but yeah, I, and, and one thing I actually want to say about um, the prisoner, because that that's actually a topic that I'm personally really interested in in um, in my life and in my career. It's uh, you know rights for prisoners. It's it's a very difficult thing somehow for for societies to understand the concept of rehabilitation as opposed to punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look at countries within the Scandinavian part of the world. Uh, they're much better at it and their um like re imprison rates, if you want to call it that. Uh people who like commit crimes again and have to go back into the system is actually quite low. Um, especially compared to other countries. Uh so I, I it's really cool. I got this was a movie that I wanted to watch. Um uh, that was really on my radar and I want to watch, but I think when I went to go watch it, it wasn't available to watch yet. So then it kinda oh, no. got kicked off. Yeah. I don't know why, um, but then yeah, things just got busy, but yeah, I'm definitely going to see if I can try to catch up with it. Maybe this weekend. Cause I think it's on tomorrow. Last Yeah. Day.
0: Well, if I was able to give an award for, for best actor, I would, or best performance, I would definitely uh, give it to Koji here. And as far as best film, it, it was my best film, my favorite of them all as well. Uh, Naomi, I know you watched one other movie as well. I don't know if you want to briefly talk about the one that you did see.
2: Yeah, so I watched a film, a film called uh, The Cornered Mouse Dreams of Cheese. wa Cheese no Miru, directed by Isao Yukisada. It's actually a queer film. It's about this... Um, it's about these two men. One is comfortable with um, his sexuality of being gay. Um, I think he's gay. I don't think he's bi. And the other one who thought that he was heterosexual, but reuniting with um, the one... Uh, okay, so I'm going <laughs> to... Sorry, so imagase is the gay one, and Otomo, he's the main character. Um, Otomo thinks that he's heterosexual. He had, he has only been in heterosexual relationships, but because he cheated on his wife, and Ima actually is a PI, and have the record of it imagase uses that as a leverage um, to kind of have a physical relationship with him um which itself is selfish, i'm not a fan of you know no means no consent is important don't blackmail no one <laughs> um but otomo kind of gets comfortable with the idea of being in a relationship imagase and i love career film and in japan um Same-sex marriage is still not legal. There's still stigma against the LGBTQ plus community, especially the trans community. It's getting a bit better, um, compared to when I was still there. So to see a queer film celebrated and loved in Japan, I know that this film did pretty well in Japan, and to see. As a lineup, you know, at TJFF, I was so happy. So I was so excited. The film itself, I realized that I actually don't really care about romance, whether it's heterosexual or, you know, homosexual or whatever. So I was just like, okay, okay, cool. And acting wasn't that great. Um, Naritario, who played Imagase, was okay, but everyone else was kind of stiff. acting yeah so acting was not great and lighting was that cheap japanese um kind of not low not necessarily low budget but obviously films don't that don't have um big budget kind of lighting that i was having an issue with so yeah and if the film itself, um, the storyline is kind of clear. You kind of can't figure out what's going to happen in the end, but it felt like it was dragging on and on despite the fact that scenes kind of move on quickly. So um, I don't think it was paced correctly and it kind of put too much elements in it. It focuses on Otomo's um, relationships a bit too heavily. So it wasn't. it wasn't the best. It didn't kind of Live up the expectation that I had, but at the same time to see two big actors Okurata Tadayoshi and Narita Ryo, having, you know, this queer—I mean, homosexual sex and whatever—I was like, yes, you do. You go queer films in Japan, so I was happy that I saw it. I wouldn't recommend it to everyone, but
1: I, I was so happy about it. <laughs> What's the state of queer cinema in Japan? Actually, that, that's a interesting topic because I know Japan is. You know, typically, like you said, like i mean same sex marriage is not uh it's not recognized in Japan, although in most of East Asia it's still not I think Taiwan is the yeah. only country that's actually legalized it um but what in terms of queer cinema is it is it popular does it do well? you said that this film did pretty well in Japan
2: I think this film is the m- most um well received one um I can't actually really think of um queer films oh there In the recent years, um, it's happening. Um, I think there's a Netflix original called Kanojo or Anoko wa I forgot which one was it, but uh, it's about lesbians. Um, Apparently it was received well. So it's definitely recognized, but kind of within the LGBTQ plus and ally community. So if you are a heterosexual in Japan, um, who don't really have, you know, LGBTQ plus community ties, you wouldn't go out and watch films. But the one of the reasons that this film did well was because they got um, those popular actors among, you know, young women and whatever. So I think the marketing was smart with this film. But um, yeah, the queer film, I I need to get into it. And I hope they... Do well and get recognized within Japan
1: and outside of Japan. I like the irony of choosing two, two young, like good-looking actors that appeal to young women. <laughs> I know into a homosexual <laughs> relationship. I enjoy <laughs> <And> that. Like, <laughs> That's great. Greg,
2: and but, but there's a scene that um Otomo, um the one with the heterosexual relationships, he went to a gay club. And it was that stereotypical gays like they were only in the bar, and I was just like, "Oh God, they're stereotyping gays." It's like, okay, whatever. Uh, but they portrayed gay in a big screen cinema in Japan, so you know what? I have to, I have to give them points for that. It's
1: kind of stuff. I mean, even if you look in in Hollywood films, like only I'd say pretty even now, there's not that many queer films that are available. But like there were, it, kind of when you look at the transition of them, it's there were little and then they weren't that great yet. And they were probably very offensive and stereotypical for the time. Like when we look back on it now, but it's just about kind of putting it out there in a way that maybe mainstream audiences can, um, can absorb it first and can accept it. And then, As you get going, I mean, you could say this for any, you know, group, basically, like, if you think of, um, like, black actors in America, they were always relegated to the roles of, like, piano players, the maids, the butlers, you know, and then not to say it was right, it wasn't right, then it's not right today, but um, it progresses that way. It's never just zero to a 100, right? You kind of have to take some steps. So I think that's really cool that I to be honest, I didn't, I didn't see this um, film listed, so I, I had no idea. Like, it's actually surprising to me that um, there is queer cinema in Japan, just because Japan has a reputation for being quite a conservative um, culture.
2: Which is weird, because kabuki and, like, other yeah, that's major things, yeah, like, they kind of relied on queer people, and queer, like, homosexuality was widely accepted, like, way back, like, around 1600s, and with the arrival of christianity they were like oh homosexuality bad woohoo so it's all the irony but yeah i really hope that queer films get more recognition and popularity in japan i really wish i genuinely wish them luck and i want to support them
1: and hopefully too like all over the world i mean i know like hollywood doesn't have that many yet to be honest yeah it's, and it's, it still feels like like they when they they do come out with one it's very um it's like the tagline is, hey, guys, it's a queer film. Go watch it. Like as opposed to <laughs> yeah. hey, like this is a really, you know, beautiful movie about a relationship or a really sad movie about a relationship. You know, like it's more of guys like it's a queer movie. Like we did yeah. something. So go, go watch yeah. it. So it'd yeah. be nice all around the world if they could just kind of normalize every type of relationship, really. That's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's why um, I really like Deadpool 2. Like Deadpool
2: 2 was not about queer film, but they just incorporated queer couple, like lesbian couples. And they were just like, here, like they're just a couple. Deal with that kind of thing. I like that attitude.
1: So that's the hope I feel like. I know we're getting a bit off track of 2JFF now, but like, <laughs> I, I, feel like, I feel like that's kind of the hope of, of you know, all different, like under traditionally underrepresented groups um, being mm-hmm. in movies. It's like, it doesn't, we, like I'm gonna go really off the track now, Dakota. But we're gonna talk about soul. Um, I remember seeing some people talk about soul and how they were upset that the main character, like Jamie Fox's character, his blackness wasn't played up more. And I and you know I was kind of it was this is a, a really intense Reddit discussion that I had. Um, and I was Ooh, reading Reddit. It, I know. And they this me and like a bunch of other people were like, look, like sometimes ethnic people we don't want our ethnicity to be the story like mm-hmm. that's not necessarily how it is like it the character will be black will be asian will be gay just because that's what the character is you don't need to play up you know certain traits and things like that so i think it's cool the more that we get more of those stories on tv and movies the more that they can just be normal and like you said yeah. like they just they're they just exist like in deadpool too, you know it doesn't it doesn't need to be a a ticket sale. Like it doesn't need to be something to drive you to like a clickbait kind of ticket. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Like, Hey guys, go check that one out. For sure. Hopefully we will reach
2: that stage soon.
0: Well, this is why I was was so excited about having Naomi on with Rachel uh, because I've had both of you on a bunch of times, but you've never been on at the same time. Uh, (laughs) But that was like some terrific conversation. I'm so happy. I got to, to listen to you to both talk.
1: We could do this for hours, Dakota. Yeah, we could just keep. Uh, talking. Uh, Rachel,
0: I know you can.
1: <laughs> I can keep a conversation going for ages. It's great. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, before we start uh, bringing up any more obscure films that have uh, nothing else to do with the festival, I think. Uh, <laughs> We'll try to Sorry. wrap it up a, a little bit here. Uh, if we have any any parting thoughts, I, I think I have a, a parting question for you, Naomi. Is going back to kind of the, the quality of the festival, what have you? Uh, I, I know when I was asking for a recommendations way back when, when this festival was announced, I'm sort of curious uh, now that you've kind of like had a chance to kind of go through all the different titles. Is this like a good representation of like? modern Japanese contemporary cinema as far as the different filmmakers involved, the different actors that are involved, the sort of stuff that might not necessarily be, you know, the number one at the box office, but definitely movies that you could sort of fairly easily see.
2: Oh, absolutely. Like it has, you know, kind of cheesy comedy movies, like the school meals time. And I, I love the variety. Like it's for everyone, just casual film viewer who's interested in non-North American films and for hardcore Japanese film fans and just you know we have those who just are obsessed with Japan they can watch with uh, they can watch you know from today it's my turn those uh, comic based uh film ad- adaptation ones so I really do think that the selection is fantastic they do a great representation of Japanese cinema um and it's, you know, industry as a whole. So I really need to give TJFF a huge thumbs up. Like I'm giving thumbs up the right now towards the head office's direction.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, that makes me very happy to hear. Rachel, do you have any final parting thoughts on the festival itself?
1: I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in myself for not having known about it sooner because um, it's a great festival. I like being able to watch movies, um, like Naomi said, outside of North America, it's it's hard enough finding Canadian movies in Canada, um, mm-hmm. so it's great to have a place that you can watch movies that I probably wouldn't have watched otherwise. Not because I'm against them, but just they just don't come under your radar. Um, so I, yeah, I was really appreciative of this festival um, for existing in the first place. Uh, disappointed to myself for not knowing about it sooner, but and hopefully next year they do like in person um, viewings. Cause I would be so damn Naomi, we can go. It would be. Yes. Cool. Let's go together. It'll be amazing. <laughs> we don't need Dakota. We can just go. Yeah. Bye. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but we could like, I, I, like, I love it. Like, I think it's great. And, um, it made me curious actually about like the different film festivals we do. Cause like Dakota said, like there's a lot of film festivals, um, that happen in Canada, in Toronto. Um, and so it made me curious about like what other, countries, what other groups um, have film festivals that are uh, based out of Toronto or out of Canada that we can watch because it's a great way to to kind of dive headfirst into a world of cinema that we wouldn't normally get to see.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a, a great a great way to put it, and nice little bow on on this episode. Uh, Naomi, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. You really brought a lot to the table and really helped context- contextualize a lot of uh, these movies for for Rachel and I. So we're both really appreciative of of what you were able to to bring to the show. But uh, I want to know where can people follow you and your work?
2: So people can find me. Um... And now we are to plot on Twitter, Instagram, um, YouTube's the same name. Um, I have English channel and Japanese channel. I talk about films. I talk about politics, feminism in North America and Japan, LGBTQ rights as well. So just come find me. And thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun talking to you too. I learned a lot from you too today. So thank you so much.
0: Well, you're you're welcome anytime to come back on the show. I'm going to make sure to, to link to all of your your work in the show notes so people can find that as well. Rachel, where can listeners find more of your work?
1: Um,
0: I'm going to give a shout-out actually to Exclaim, just because they were the
1: ones who got me the press pass to do TJFF, and I wrote a few reviews on their uh, website and um, some other contributors have put up some reviews too for other movies that um, we didn't talk about. Uh, so you can go to exclaim.ca and um, check out their film section and their music sections. Great. Um, and if you want to look for me personally, you can find me on Twitter underscore Rachel KH.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And they, I'll also include links to the exclaim reviews as well. You can follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pod. And if anyone listening, watched any films during the Toronto Japanese film festival, let us know your thoughts send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you could rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts, it'll be a huge help for us to grow and find new listeners. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.